How do you sell to fertility doctors? How do you sell to fertility practice owners? How do you do this in a time when fertility practices are consolidating, when MSOs are participating in the channel conflict to get better deals, there are fewer buyers, when there's channel conflict on the employer side, when you have so many people trying to sell in to such a small percentage of people with maybe 300 independently owned clinics in all of the US and Canada, if there still are that many. There's only about 500 fertility clinics to begin with and relatively proportionate numbers in other parts of the world. How do you sell to these folks? We're going to explore that today. Fertility doctors and those of you that work in fertility clinics, I don't know if this episode is going to be interesting to you. Maybe it will. You're kind of a bug on the wall, I suppose, in this conversation. This is instruction to industry side companies, those businesses that are calling on you. And I put industry in quotes. Some people like the word, some people don't. And I'm telling them how they can call on you and be more effective in their sales and marketing to you. You'll tell me if I'm totally off. This episode is for them, but I hope you enjoy it too. So I'll start off with what I think the problem is, and there are multiple problems, but you could distill it down to there's a divide between sales and marketing in the fertility field. In many businesses, overall, large and small, it's one of the things that you hear very often breaking down the barriers between sales and marketing, breaking down the silos between the two. It's very common in small companies too. What it means is we need to connect sales and marketing. Marketing is just copy. It's just art. It's just promotion. If it doesn't actually connect to the sale, that's its job. And there is a bit of an underappreciation between the two. Sometimes marketing people see sales as a less noble approach to the same aim that it's pushy, that it's not as creative. And sometimes sales view marketers as a bunch of artists and English majors that don't actually have to be accountable for a result. At their most cynical, they can be right, but what we want is for marketing to set up the sale. I'm not good at a lot of things in this life, but one thing that I have gotten really good at professionally, at least I think that I've gotten really good at professionally, is appreciating both. That there has to be a bottom line result. A sale has to eventually come from your efforts. And that marketing can uniquely position you to be able to do that. So that you're adding value to your prospects. So that you have greater opportunity than you do have capacity. So you can walk away from lousy deals. So you don't have to pressure people. So you can be that helpful resource that you want to be in the sales process. What does this disconnect look like in the fertility field? There's a lot of booths. There's a lot of sponsorships. Maybe you do webinars, you have brochures, you have newsletters. And sometimes those go out through marketing channels. Sometimes it's your sales people that are manning those different channels. But then it's very often disconnected from what the actual sales process is. The prospecting call, your discovery call, the sales demo, follow-up, the sales meeting, the follow-up, the follow-up. In fact, those names are so sales-oriented that there very often is something missing in walking the prospect all the way through the process in a way that adds value to them and puts you in a position where you're helpful, where you can walk away and aren't just somebody trying to peddle something. Of course, it depends on what sub-vertical you're in within the fertility field. Very often I ask you, how did ASRM go? How did PCRS go? How did this particular event or that particular endeavor go? Very often the response is, well, you know, these things, it's about showing up and about building the relationship. And those are good things, but that's still 
too fluid for me. That's still too much of marketing being over here and sales being over here. I want marketing to set up the sale and I want to have at least a good idea of how it's helping to do that. Not saying that you can quantify everything. That is a mistake that many people demand of sales. You can't qualify and attribute everything. But we should be able to do better than that. So instead of having marketing over here, and here's all your marketing efforts, and here's all your sales efforts over here, I want to walk you through a process of linking these different phases together. This is the process that my companies use, that I've used to sell thousands of dollars in marketing services over the last few years. And this has been from someone that came into the field with no money, no capital whatsoever, not just no venture capital, no private equity, not even a dime from a bank loan, no money coming in as a D student who had been a generalist digital marketer and have been able to sell millions of dollars in marketing services to a field that generally has not been interested in marketing services. My prospects, fertility clinics, have spent half a percent of gross revenue on marketing. And yet somehow we've been able to do this since because I've gone through this connection to marketing and sales. Let's think of these from your prospect's point of view, from a fertility doctor's point of view, a fertility practice owner's point of view, a CFO at an MSO or a CEO or a CO of a fertility network. You might have seen different funnels and different flywheels. It's pretty similar. Let's start with indifference. They're indifferent to their problem, or at least they're indifferent to your solution. Then there's awareness where they become aware of their problem and acknowledge it. Then there's consideration where they actually might start to talk to you and consider you as a solution or consider solutions, period. Then comes indecision. Indecision is that point in the sales process where every single person that's ever sold anything knows exactly what I'm talking to. Uh, we'll think about it oh yeah, we're ready to go, and then you don't hear back from them. Oh, this is something that we really want to work on. We just have to talk about it with so-and-so. And that process, which sometimes when things are going really good, happens right away, but very often takes weeks and months. Not only does the indecision phase very often take several months, it can also become a graveyard where sales go to die. Things that had been very promising conversations end up becoming nothing. If you can get past indecision, that's when you get to commitment and decision from the buyer. These five phases are when fertility doctors, fertility practice owners, and execs are in when we're trying to get them to buy our product, when we're trying to get them to write to our pharmacy, when we're trying to get them to write our drug, when we're trying to get them to use our carrier screening company or genetics testing company to buy our EMR, to demo our new software. These are the five phases that they're. But to be honest with you, I very often don't think of the, this in terms of the phases that they're in, even though I will say, but to be honest with you, I very often don't even think of it in these phases that they're in from their end. Yes, I always believe in talking about the problem that your prospect is facing, not starting with the feature, not starting the with what you do. We're all tempted to do that. See it all the gosh darn time, even though every sales and marketing book and every wisdom, piece of wisdom that has come out about sales and marketing wisely advises that we start with the prospect's problem. We often skip that. And even knowing that, I just often don't think of it in terms of where the prospect is at. I think of it in terms of what I have to do. And it's a sequence of things that I have to do in order to get their attention and trust so that I can actually help them and actually provide value. First, I'm going to attract them, get their intention. Then I'm going to engage them. Then I have to secure the conversation, the process, the relationship, so it doesn't go into the graveyard to indecision health. 
They have to close the deal, actually get the person to sign something, to pay money for it, and then be able to deliver to them. And I used to think of the nurture and delight phase just in that delivery form. There is some bit of nurture and delight that you want to do across all those phases. You want to be nurturing and delighting a little bit while you're attracting them, a little bit while you're engaging them, a little bit while you're securing them, a little bit while you're closing them. So nurture and delight shouldn't just be saved for the delivery phase. In my view, I think it's best when it comes in the delivery phase. I'd much rather have a happy client than a happy prospect. I can't sleep when clients don't feel like they've gotten value. And I love it when you can get a prospect to buy at the lowest expectation for them so that then you can exceed that expectation. So this is how Fertility Bridge has done it through Inside Reproductive Health over the years to sell millions of dollars in client services to a very small niche with no outside budget, no fancy parties, hardly even any sponsorships, and one part-time salesperson, moi, who is also running a company. And this is all very visual, so if you want to see the visual, I will link it. You can download it. Go to the show notes of this page. Go to the email that you got this episode from or go to insidereproductivehealth.com slash fertility clinic sales, and then you can get an idea of what this actually looks like. So in order to attract the audience, in order to get their attention, that's where the marketing series comes in. And even though the main problem that we're solving for today is connecting sales and marketing, that's our central theme, what's one of the problems that has come from the consolidation that's happening in the field? Though, to be fair, I think it's there even if you're selling to small independently owned practices is that there's multiple decision makers even in a small independently owned practice you might have the physician you might have the physician spouse you might have a practice manager that the physician really trusts and relies on if you're selling lab solutions you might still have to talk to their lab director if you're selling lab solutions in general very often you need the lab director to buy in but they can't totally say yes or write a check without having a senior partner physician or the managing partner. If it's a multi-physician group, they have different decision makers involved of their senior partners, some of whom are very involved, some of whom are less involved. Some of them make decisions on committees. If it's an MSO, they'll very often have a chief medical officer, maybe a chief scientific officer. Maybe there are some junior partners that you need to come and advocate for you. There's a CFO, a COO, and sometimes other different relevant C positions beyond the CEO. So that's where you'll see different articles and podcast episodes coming out from me that target lots of different types of folks. We'll talk about IBF conversion, branding, reputation management. We'll talk about things that my company itself doesn't even help with mergers and acquisitions, operational improvements, physician recruitment, because that's engaging the different decision makers. We're getting lab directors here. We're getting CEOs here. We're getting COOs there. And then we're putting in different messages at different times to let people know about our services. But that way, when I do get invited to a sales conversation, it's more likely that the person's partner has heard of me, that the executives have heard of me. And they've heard of me and my company in different places, a podcast episode here, an article here, an ebook here. So I have different nurture pieces for each of these different types of decision makers. And this is what advertisers who advertise on inside reproductive health do the same thing. We just help them make their nurture pieces and put it in their different places to the different decision makers that we reach. But the advertisers, just like us, can't jump all the way to the sales offer. Well, they can, and sometimes they'll get lucky, but it's not the most trusted way of fluidly going through the process. What makes more sense in our second phase to engage the prospective fertility practice owner, the prospective fertility exec, 
is to give them a marketing hook, something of value. A great marketing hook is something that really talks about your prospect's problem and gives them the insight and data that they probably can't get elsewhere or would be hard to get elsewhere without talking about your solution, talking about your features. A couple really great examples of marketing hooks that we've had that have been really successful. We ranked every fertility clinic based on online reputation. And then we gave that ranking to people to be able to see where they were. We did the same thing with brand. We ranked every fertility clinic on a four-point brand scale, and people wanted to see that. We gave them the criteria for the scale. So fertility practices got to see interesting information, things that they wanted to know without having to hear anything about our sales message, and they got that for free. The more generous you can be here, the better off you can be. This is what we counsel advertisers who advertise on Inside Reproductive Health to do, and some are better than others. Some try to jump too far. The marketing offer that they have isn't that generous. The information isn't that competitive. It's not that detailed, and so less people are interested. Another example of a really good one was Cycle Clarity, and I can share this because Dr. Schnorr has given me permission to use them as a testimonial and a case study very graciously, but they were also very gracious and generous in their marketing offer. They gave averages for physician time, averages for physician salary, for ultrasound time, for nursing time, for time spent on ultrasounds, and they were willing to give that away in exchange for some contact information, but without anything about Cycle Clarity, about all the great stuff that they do. It was just interesting and valuable information that they were willing to part ways in exchange for building that next step of the relationship with the prospect. To get an idea for how your company might be able to get multiple fertility companies as leads, you can get a visual of the process at insidereproductivehealth.com slash fertility clinic sales. That's a free visual. It shows you what the process looks like when it's broken, shows you all of the points of the process when it works. That's insidereproductivehealth.com slash fertility clinic sales. Or you can just email me, Griffin with an I-N, Griffin at fertilitybridge.com or insidereproductivehealth.com slash fertility clinic sales. Now back to enjoying your episode. So now we're in our third phase. We have nurtured them through our marketing series. One, we have got them on with our marketing hook, which maybe I'll change to marketing bait. Now, nobody likes to think of themselves as a fish, but I'm, I'm happy to be a fish as long as everybody's transparent with our interests. Maybe people don't like that, but I think it's a valuable way of thinking about this. And maybe I'll change it to marketing bait because I've got marketing hook onto sales hook, but you need something to grab onto at least time. So I might keep the word hook and you maybe you can dispense with the fish analogy altogether because really it's just about latching on. It's about getting traction. First is the nurturing pieces that happen through the marketing series. Then we're getting them, we're latching on with a marketing hook that is valuable and generous to the prospect. And the sales hook is really where we want to latch marketing onto sales. We want to bridge this gap. We want to successfully pass off the baton without having to get them so fully committed into the sales process, without wasting the prospect's time, without wasting your time. If we don't know if it's a good fit now, there hasn't been that qualification. And that happens with your sales hook. Your sales hook should be low commitment to yourselves and to the prospect. And it's got to be valuable to the prospect. It has to be more relevant than, hey, do you want to talk on the phone for 20 minutes and see how we can help you? Even if it is actually a 20-minute conversation. Give you an example. Remember the marketing hooks I was talking about? The One of the examples I had was we ranked all of the clinics on brand. That was the marketing hook. You had to download that. You had to give your information, say, hey, this is something I'm interested in. And then the sales hook after that was, 
hey, saw that you downloaded this ranking. Do you want to see the criteria too? I can walk you through it. So it's relevant. It's valuable to the prospect because they've already been interested in the ranking and you're putting a constraint around it that you're not just going to take up all of their time or your time. That's one example of a sales hook. Another example is for example, what we just talked about, this visual that if you go to insidereproductivehealth.com slash fertility clinic sales, or if you download this from the email, or if you download it from the page that this particular podcast episode is on, that's a marketing hook. You're getting this visual. And then I can reach out to you if, I, if we haven't talked already, or if I think it might be a good time to have a conversation and say, hey, do you want to see the rest of these examples? Do you want to have a 20-minute conversation? And we'll go over this, and I will show you the different points of exactly how we use each of these five different phases so that you can see for yourself. In a perfect world, we'd go right from the sales hook to the sales offer, but we usually need a sales nurture series first. This is really where the sales comes in. This is really where people often don't like to get their hands dirty. Everybody wishes you could just put an ad up someplace and then all of a sudden you get 10 calls and the prospect has their wallet out and they just want to buy your genetic testing offer. They want to buy your new AI solution. They want to sign up for your software. They want to demo your EMR. It usually doesn't happen like that. We have to continue to build the relationship, provide value. But there are ways we can do that more systemically where we waste a lot less of the prospect's time, where we waste a lot less of your time. So when you see the visual, you'll see the sales nurture series in between the sales hub phase three and the sales offer phase five. But really, I like to use it as like a phase two and a half and a phase four. Now, I like to use it between the marketing hook and the sales hook too. So what I like to do is get the sales conversation scheduled, but then I like to send the prospect some information before we even meet. Those sales nurture pieces that come even before the sales hook, that first sales conversation, should have to do with the prospect's most frequently asked questions and very often their most common objections. You want to send that to them ahead of time to show them that you've thought about this before. And if there are any deal breakers, that they should cancel the meeting. You're not trying to get them in a meeting. You're not trying to squeeze them into something. You want to show them that you've thought about a lot of their questions ahead of time, that you're ready. You want to show them that you don't want to waste their time. You want to give that to them so that they can cancel if there is a deal breaker. An example of one of those sales nurture pieces for us that I use between the marketing hook and the sales hook is we have a very extensive FAQ page probably need to update it. There's a lot of stuff for especially inside reproductive health advertiser prospects that I don't have on there. But on the client services and marketing side, it's really robust. It has most of any question they could possibly ask and says, you know, here's what the deal breakers would be. If this is important to you, we're not going to be a good fit. If this is important to you, we might be. And it links to a lot of information about our sales and our delivery process. I like to get that to people before I have that sales hook conversation with them because then they can cancel if they want. And very often the meeting just goes much more smoothly because we're both prepared. But let's say we're in the sales nurture series where it really is the fourth phase. It is coming between the sales hook and the sales offer. This is where you want to do some objection busting. And very often your sales nurture pieces can also be marketing pieces, the marketing nurture pieces. And just like in the marketing series where you're creating different nurturing pieces for each of the types of decision makers, you do the same thing with 
sales nurture pieces, you have different pieces that can speak to the objections of different decision makers. And this is where you can really smash that sales cycle, the length of that sales cycle. And that's where a salesperson proves their value. You can resurrect some of the potential conversations that were in the graveyard. You can crank down that 9, 10, 11, 12 month sales cycle to a few months at a time. You can take some of those few months sales cycles and have a couple more of those unicorns that just go through real quickly. This is where you want to really meet the fertility doctor, the practice owner, the exec, where they're at and bring them value with the objections that they have for implementing your software, writing to your pharmacy, writing for your drug, adopting your EMR, trying out your AI product because they're so effing busy. They have so much going on. There are a whole bunch of good reasons, believe it or not, for them not to even try your product, much less to buy it. I know you wouldn't believe it if I told you, but despite having done business with dozens of fertility centers, we still have not done business with the majority of them. Can you believe it? The best marketer and salesperson on the face of the earth? Oh my goodness. It's because they're busy. They have things going on. There are good reasons for them not to try my product or service, let alone work, spend money and work with us. And that's the case for you too. So we want to address their objections with well thought out pieces so that it isn't just you responding to an objection in a conversation. You can send it to them before the objection comes up. They want to read, watch, or listen to it because it's valuable. And when it does come up in a conversation, you can reference it and it's more valuable than you just bringing up a point because you want to get a sale. It's something that you clearly establish a valuable point of view on. A couple more examples for you. For, this is for the sales nurture series. Two of the biggest objections that a client services firm can get, or at least if it's in marketing, is we already have a marketing team. We already have a marketing director. Or if you're a client services firm, you often need buy-in from the top that is more than just the vertical that you're helping with. In other words, if it's marketing, you need buy-in from the top because there's going to be operations things that involve the outcome that they're ultimately in search of. If you sell some kind of accounting, it isn't just the financial department that you might need help with. It might be from the sales department as well, the way that they send invoices and, and do other things and bring people onto their sales process. And so we have those two different objections. The first is we already have a marketing team. We have a marketing director. That's a really big one. The other one is that there are different decision makers and many of them want to kick it down to someone else. They want to step out of that process. We have to solve for each of those things. I have a piece called, should I fire my fertility center's marketing director? No, it doesn't say you should fire your fertility center's marketing director. That wouldn't be valuable. It, instead, it very lays out the different roles for a fertility center, for a fertility company that they could actually use for evaluation. What those different roles do, what levels of responsibility they can be expected to have, what outcomes can and should be assigned to them, and then what support each of them need in order to achieve those outcomes. It's a valuable piece. We send it to people, and then people can see how we can help them in different ways. Instead of shutting out, we have them we have a marketing director, we have a marketing team, which could mean anything. They could have a physician liaison, they could have an in-house ad agency. It could mean a number of different things and they can see, oh, this is how they might be able to help. Not because we're saying this is what we do, but because it's very valuable for them to be able to see the different functions, the different outcomes and what each 
role needs in order to be able to achieve those outcomes. On the decision maker side, I have something called the 12 point spectrum. And I give this to CEOs, I give this to practice owners, and I show them here are the areas where you don't need to be involved. And here are the areas where you absolutely need to be involved. And here are the points where the handoff comes. And I give this to them because we don't want them getting sucked into things that they should be able to delegate, that they have to be able to get off their plate so that they don't have to micromanage. And to show them, even if you have a chief marketing officer, there are still some things that only the visionary and the integrator are responsible for. And these are the sales and marketing roles that cannot be delegated beyond the number one person in the company. And here are the other roles that can be. And we show them that 12 point spectrum. It's valuable to them. We share this with them. If I run into the objection in the conversations, I send it to them beforehand. And those two things are really important from stopping sales conversations, from going to the graveyard to get you out of indecision infinitum and to move on to what the sales offer is. There can be multiple sales offers, but I break it off into something digestible. And this is something that I try to get our advertisers to do as well, try to advise them and workshop with them on how to do this because very often our solutions are a lot. They're a lot for a fertility center to adopt or to even think about. You want me to implement this software with all of my nurses? You know what that's gonna do to our whole billing process? How much work is this gonna take from my staff? So if you can break off a piece of what you sell that will help you sell other bigger things potentially in the future, but at least give you something that the prospect has to part ways with money for that they can actually become a client and take them away from the prospect phase and into the client phase in a way that is valuable to build a working relationship. So now you're not just somebody calling on them, but you're actually doing business together and in a way that doesn't have them create a huge commitment or have to make a huge commitment. It doesn't put you on the hook if they're not a good fit. And it must be valuable whether they buy anything from you after that or not. It's a big piece. Think of what our prospects do themselves. Think of what fertility clinics do. Do you just walk into a fertility clinic and say, hey, doc, I have three cycles, want a gestational carrier. You're going to write this amount of clomid. By the way, go ahead and throw in a couple of donor gametes and some mixy in there. First, they do a consult. They do a workup. They go over the results they give a follow-up. Some people might and could be disappointed if that doesn't go on to IVF. It has to be valuable outside of just the potential of it leaving to IVF. The best fertility doctors and practices know this and do this, and fertility patients all over the world appreciate those that do. When you can give someone answers, when you can give someone guidance, when you can give them value for parting ways with a little bit of money, $300, somewhere between $300 and $600, right? And hopefully it leads to the next step, whatever that may be, but it has to be valuable either way. Almost all of you can do this in some way. This is where we help people workshop and get creative with, and it takes a little bit of time. It takes a little bit to get good at. Our sales offer, and another example for you, is the goal diagnostic. You probably heard me talk about the goal diagnostic on the podcast before. Dozens of fertility clinics have done it. Some industry side companies have done it too. Maybe 10 industry side companies have done it, but it's four or five something dozen clinics that have done it up to this point. And it took 
a little while to make sure that it was really valuable. But now I know that's going to be valuable. Virtually every time the people that we engage with to do the gold diagnostic love it, they learn a ton and only about half of them do we go on to do more business with. And I set that up from the very beginning, just like a consult. It makes it easy for the prospect to say yes to as long as you've done all of these other things. It qualifies prospects further and it leaves them with a valuable experience. You'll convert more folks, yes, but even the folks that you don't convert will leave saying, you know what, you should talk to those folks. They got something there. They have a good experience. Yes, it takes a while to figure out. We can help you figure out. It took us a little while to figure out, but guess what? When you're starting at something so small, you can make the value up if for some reason you fail. I always started off ch charting $600 for the goal diagnostic, and if I couldn't deliver value Somehow, I could find a way to make that up before moving to the next phase. That might be the last point on the sales offer is it should be called something that is worth buying as opposed to discovery, call, demo, things of that nature. We call it the goal diagnostic because we turn it into a deliverable. They get something from it and you can do the same thing. I hope this has been helpful to you. There's a temptation very often to say, doctors aren't business people or these people coming into the fertility field, they might have MBAs and have worked at private equity backed groups, but they have no idea what they're doing in the fertility field. Those are all tempting things to say. As a great salesperson or as an aspiring great salesperson, I always want to put the onus back on myself. It's always my responsibility to provide value. Never the prospect's responsibility to just perceive my value. Always, always have to get better. Always have to provide more value. Always, always, always. And with that, I hope you can repair this disconnect. It doesn't just exist in the fertility field. It's in almost every facet of business where you have a silo of marketing here, you have a silo of sales here. You're not just doing a sponsorship or a booth or creating a newsletter, or making a brochure. You aren't just having a discovery call, prospect and call over here. It becomes a process that fluidly links sales and marketing where the fertility practice owner is at, indifference, awareness, consideration, indecision, commitment, and you're doing that, attracting them, engaging them, securing them, closing them, all while nurturing and delighting the entire time by giving them a nurturing piece, a marketing hook, latching onto a sales hook, using your sales nurture series to get them out of indecision hell in order to move things along, in order to provide value instead of arguing about objections, and then to have a sales offer that makes it easy for them to buy and for you to begin to become a relationship that isn't just prospect, but is client, and then allows you to add more value and continue to repeat this process. For those of you on the industry side, I hope this was valuable to you. Again, you can get the visual in the notes in the email that this episode came in by going to insidereproductivehealth.com slash fertility clinic sales. Fertility docs and practice owners, if you did last through all of this episode, I hope that it was valuable to you. I hope that it gets more value to you from the people that are calling on you. If you found this episode valuable, will you tell me, will you email me and tell me? I love hearing, I love hearing when that happens. And if you didn't find it valuable, will you just shout it into a pillow quietly in your house when nobody is around? Never tell anybody about how bad it was. I hope so. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Inside Reproductive Health and I hope it gave you something to add more value for you, for your companies, and for the fertility practices, fertility docs, and fertility companies that you call on. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast with Griffin Jones. 
If you are ready to take action to make sure that your practice thrives beyond the revolutionary changes that are happening in our field and in society, visit fertilitybridge.com to begin the first piece of the fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Thank you for listening to Inside Reproductive Health.